Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. I can share God's truth with you this morning, but it has been quite a week, hasn't it? I mean, it's been quite a week. Last week, we met here for our weekend worship services. We were following the CDC. We, we fell underneath that threshold, but we still took a lot of precautions. And for every precaution we took, we thought, is this too much? Is this enough? What's going to happen? Will this reach our small community? And by the time we got home from our Sunday services, we knew that the CDC actually lowered the threshold. So now it was only 50 people that could gather together. And if you were over 60 years old, only 10 people. And after we got that news, soon the governor came on and said, look, there's no more restaurants and bars operating for dine-in service. And it just felt like everything around us was crumbling and changing. And so we took that news and we started adapting our lives to it. We started recalibrating ourselves to prepare for this moment. And and so we could care for our families and and, and make sure that everything was working just so. And just about the time that we had a handle on that, on Monday morning, our, our president came out, President Trump, and he said, look, no gatherings over 10 for 15 days. That started impacting us in an even more heavy-handed way. And we thought, how are we going to do this? What does this mean for me? And for some of us, that meant that we weren't working during this time. And for some of us, that was a huge, huge deal because if we don't work, we don't get paid and we hardly have enough money to get to the next paycheck. And if we're not working, what are we going to do? For some of us, we were stressed out. We were overworked. And so it was kind of a, a nice little reprieve for us. We thought, okay, I'll take a break. I, I've, I have money, I just don't have time, and now I have time to pour into my family, and I'm just going to take a breath during the season. For others, it just ramped up our responsibilities. Maybe we are part of that essential group, right? You're a doctor or a nurse, so you work at the, the Walmart distribution center, or you work at Walmart or Aldi's or Kroger's, and now your work went from 40 hours a week to 80 hours a week really fast, and you just feel overwhelmed. Well, as we worked through our week, we kind of normalized it again. We got ready again. What is the next thing? We started creating new normal avenues so we could get through life and kind of recalibrate and and get things moving. And then right about the time when we had that done, Friday came. And our governor of Illinois, Governor Pritzker, came on and said, look, we're issuing a stay-at-home order. And for many of us, that meant that we were not working anymore or we were at least working from home. It's amazing what can happen in a week. But when we're confined to home, this is what we do. If you've, if you've been at home this whole week or just for a short period of time, there's only so much we can do, isn't there? And so after time, what do we do? We start turning on our TV, right? Start watching our TV shows. We start watching our movies. Maybe if you're a better person than me, you start reading a book, 
right? But we start getting into stories is what we do. And even if we're one of those people that are working nonstop right now, when we get home and when we need a break, we don't want to think about this, right? We just want to relax. And so even if we only have two hours before bed or one hour before bed or 30 minutes before bed, what do we do? We flip on the TV to engage in some stories, to just kind of relax. So this is my hope. Today, as we continue into our sermon series, The Greatest Stories Ever Told, I'm hoping that you're not over stories yet. I'm hoping that you're still willing to step in and hear the greatest stories ever told by the greatest storyteller to ever walk the face of the earth. Because these stories are different. These stories have the power to transform your life and to transform how you see life. But this is what we know about stories, and this is what you know about stories, is that all stories are not created equal. Right? If you've been at home this whole week, maybe you flipped through Netflix and you've realized really quickly that not every movie on Netflix is created equal. Some are good and some are just horrible. Let's, let's be honest, right? We, we all understand this. So I'm going to give you a little cheat today. This is what you can do. This will help you actually sort through good movies and, and bad movies. So this is what I do. If I'm about to watch a movie, I go online and I find out how many awards that Hollywood has given a movie. And then I look at how many awards that Hollywood has given. And then I realize if there's a lot of awards that this movie has received, there's no way I'm watching that movie. Because it's a horrible movie, right? Every time I I fall into that trap and watch a movie that won a bunch of accolades, I always hate that movie. Now, it might be because I'm not refined, but I'm just telling you, it always works. If I watch a movie that has won a bunch of awards, it's just a, a horrible, horrible, horrible movie. But there's another type of movie that I don't really enjoy. It's, it's the foreign film. I don't enjoy the foreign film. Now, for one reason. First of all, if, if I wanted to read, I would read a book, right? I don't want to read my movie as I'm watching it. So it's all done in a different language, right? So you have to read the subtitles. But there's something else about foreign movies. To understand a foreign movie and to really get it, you need to understand their culture and you need to understand their history, I mean, I got to be honest, that's just way too much work for me. I'm not interested in pouring forth all that effort just to enjoy a movie. If I'm watching a French movie, I don't want to learn the language, the history, and the culture. I just want to hear the story. Just let me hear the story. Well, today we're going to continue. But when we continue into the story, it's very important that we actually know the history and the culture and the backstory. And don't worry, you're not going to have to look. I'm going to tell you. So today we're diving into one of Christ's stories. A story that's uniquely given to a group of people in a specific time and place. But it still impacts us today. And this is Christ's story penned in the book of Matthew. He put before them another parable. So as we step into Matthew, we see that Christ once again is, is telling a story, right? He's telling a parable. And as we know, when Christ told stories, he was incredibly popular, incredibly popular. And there were large crowds that gathered around him. In fact, in this point in time, there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that were, that were crowding in on Jesus to hear his story. In fact, they were crowding in so far that because he was by a sea, he actually got in a boat and, and backed away from them because they were just trying to draw near, to be near him, to hear his story. So he gets in this boat and he begins to teach the crowd. And this is what we know about that crowd, is that crowd had all sorts of people. People who were for Jesus, 
people who are against Jesus, right? People who are just waiting for him to misspeak so they could get him. There's people who are on the fence trying to figure out if, if he was something special or maybe he wasn't anything of significance. There were people who were following Jesus that were thinking, hey, I, I'm in, but maybe I'm about to leave, right? Maybe I'm not going to follow him anymore. There were all sorts of people in that crowd. And that's what I love about church. And that's what I love specifically about this time of online church. Anyone and everyone has access to these stories. So it doesn't matter if you're a Christ follower. It doesn't matter if you're against Christ. It doesn't matter if you're on the fence or, or if you're a Christ follower. But because of this crisis, you're thinking, hey, maybe, maybe I'm done. Maybe I'm over this. Because Christ has a message for each and every one of us. And he welcomes us all into his story. And this is the story that he tells. The kingdom of heaven is like... So he begins this parable in a way that he began a lot of his parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like, right? This is how the king operates in his kingdom. And this is what it will look like when the king is ruling. Well, as Americans, when we hear this, we don't really quite get it. Because we don't have a king. In fact, we had a king for a little bit of time early, early on in our story. And we fought him out of our country and his army, right? We don't really appreciate kings. We don't appreciate somebody telling us what to do. That's the American way, right? Don't tell me what to do. And so when we read things like this, we don't really get it. Because a king to us is a foreign concept. It's not something that we really want. It's not something that we're used to. In fact, the only thing that we know about the king is that England has a king and we don't really understand why they have a king and they have fancy weddings and that's pretty much the gist of what we know about them. See, a king to us doesn't make sense because a king then has a child and that child becomes the king and, and, and why does that child become the king? doesn't mean that they're wise or smart or educated. They're just the child of the king. And so this whole idea of a kingship is, is weird to us and foreign to us. But in this day, they knew this term because everyone had a king. And so they understood what Christ was talking about. In fact, in this day, most everyone had the same king or the same ruler because the Roman Empire was in charge of pretty much the whole known world at that time. So when Jesus starts talking about another king, there was two groups of people in that crowd. Those who were loyal to Rome and they got a little nervous. What is he saying? What is he talking about? Is he talking about a rival king to our leader, to our emperor? What is he going to say? What is he implying? And they got a little nervous. Maybe they should report him. But the other group of people who were under Rome's boot leaned in. Because they wanted a new king. They wanted a king from heaven to protect them and, and care for them. They were hoping for a king to fight off Rome. And so when Jesus says, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like, or this king is going to be like, they're like, yeah, tell us. Tell us what this king is going to be like. We need some hope right now. We all need some hope right now. Well, this is what Jesus says. This kingdom of heaven, it's like a mustard seed. Now, I don't know about you, but we're not doing a lot of mustard farming around here, right? That's not really our thing, but we do understand what mustard is, right? We're pretty close to Chicago and we all know that there's only one condiment that should go on the hot dog. That's mustard. 
If you said ketchup at home, uh, please shut off the live stream and go into the other room, right? No, mustard is the only appropriate answer. Mustard is the topping for hot dogs. So we, we get that. But in this time and in this place, this actually was something that they farmed. In the Holy Land, this grows really, really, really well. And they use it for two separate purposes. They use it for culinary purposes like we do, but they also use it for medicinal purposes, right? They understood that the mustard seed, even though it was very small and seemingly insignificant, that it had the potential to be something important. And so Jesus continues. This mustard seed is like when someone took and sowed this mustard seed in his field. So this farmer, he takes the mustard seed and just like any farmer, right? You prepare the field, you, you put the seed in and then you plant it, right? And everyone here in the story says, Hey, I get this, right? It's about to live up to its potential, right? The, the mustard seed is small and insignificant, but if we plant it and we take care of it and we water it and we fertilize it, then it has potential. Then we'll see if it's going to become something. And Jesus continues, This mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. And so Jesus continues to push forth this idea that the the mustard seed is incredibly insignificant. It's incredibly small. Now, if you're a skeptic today listening, and and if they were a skeptic back then in that day listening, when Jesus said this, they might have scoffed at him. Because the mustard seed is not actually the smallest seed in the world and if you think that's what Christ is implying, that's, that's not what he's saying. He's, he's just creating hyperbole, right? He's setting us up for a contrast. He's saying this mustard seed is incredibly small. It seems so insignificant. But this is what happens. He says this. But when it is grown, it is the greatest of all shrubs and becomes a tree. So Jesus sets up this contrast This tiny little seed that seems so insignificant, if you plant it, if you water, if you fertilize it, it's going to grow. It's going to become something that you notice, right? He's setting up this contrast of small to, to large. And once again, he says, it's one of the greatest shrubs. Now, once again, if you're a skeptic in that day or even today, you're thinking, hey, it's, it's not like this massive tree. It, it's, it's good size, but it's not like, you know, a redwood or something like that. And, and you would be right. But what Jesus is doing here is setting us up to say, look, something small becomes something big. And not just big, but much larger than we could have expected. In fact, this is how large it's going to get. It's become so large that the birds of the air come and make nests in its trees, in its branches. This plant becomes so big that it actually begins to shelter people. People begin to find their rest in this moment. And when people heard this, they were trying to figure it out. They were trying to understand what Jesus was saying. Okay, the kingdom, the king start small, but then it grows, then it finds, we find our rest, we find our protection in this king and in this kingdom. That's something that we want. But then Jesus doesn't explain the rest of the story. He just stops. And the story stops. And people's curiosity continues. And they lean in. And they follow Jesus. 
because they want to know the rest of the story. They want to know about this kingdom. They're hoping for a kingdom. They're hoping for a king. And some of them are even thinking, maybe Jesus is this king. We need to follow this Jesus to see if he's the king. In fact, it would all keep moving forward and everything was building for the disciples and for Jesus and the ministry and more and more and more people were following Jesus and it all got to this point in time that we call Palm Sunday where Jesus made his way into Jerusalem and the people gathered and they waved palm branches and they put their cloaks on the ground for him to walk across so he didn't have to walk across the dirty ground because that's what you do for a king. And they wanted him to become king. They celebrated him as king. But a lot can happen in a week. See, soon after this, Jesus would have the crowd turn on him. The religious leaders would turn on him. He'd be falsely accused and imprisoned and whipped and beaten and tried by the Romans and put on a Roman cross. And he would die. And the crowd lost their king and lost their hope. And the disciples lost their king and lost their hope. But then three days later, Jesus came back. He came back and he spoke with them and he he touched them and he ate breakfast with them and their king had returned And they thought for sure this is the moment when he sits on the throne. This is the moment when he overthrows Rome. This is the moment when his kingdom that he's been talking about becomes exactly what he had implied. This is the moment. This is what the story was talking about, right? There's a small, insignificant seed, a tiny little baby boy born to two poor people in a barn, placed in a manger. And then that seed went into the ground. He died. And now it's going to grow. Now it's going to flourish. Now it's going to protect people and care for people and have people rest under its branches. This is the moment. And so they said to Jesus, is this the time when your kingdom is coming? Is this the time when you sit on the throne? He said, no, you guys don't really get this. You don't really understand. And then he gave them a mission. The mission was for them to share the story of the king, to teach the teachings of the king, to baptize people, to connect people to the king. And after giving them this mission, he left. The king left the building in that moment. And Jesus was gone. Now this was strategically unwise, is it not? To to leave your kingdom or to leave the potential of your kingdom to these disciples and to have the king leave? But that's exactly what happened. But these disciples who had watched their teacher, their king, predict his own death and resurrection, and then come back and fulfill that prediction, fulfill that prophecy, they believed in his story that this little baby boy would die, become king, and then actually that kingdom would grow into something much larger than anyone could understand, much larger than they could understand. And so they listened to the mission. And they lived out that mission. And because they lived out that mission to tell people about the king and what the king had for them, that they could have a relationship with the king, they were persecuted. They experienced moments of crisis. And 
every disciple was killed for his faith except for John because John had the grace of God put on him. So he lived to an old age. And when John passed away, those disciples handed the reins over to the next generation of Christians so they could tell people about the king. And guess what they experienced? Persecution and crisis. And wave after wave after wave of persecution. And these people told people about the king and guess what happened? The kingdom got bigger. In the midst of persecution and crisis, the kingdom got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, at some point in time, the early 300 AD, Rome got very concerned. And they opened up season on Christians. Anything was fair game. You could do whatever you wanted to Christians. You could kill Christians. It didn't matter. And for 18 years, they did this. And you know what happened during that heavy persecution? The church grew. In fact, in 380 AD, 80 years after this heavy persecution, this same Roman empire that tried to eradicate Christianity became a Christian nation. Christianity became the official religion of the Roman empire. And Jesus' prediction came true. That little seed went into the ground and grew into this large tree, much larger than it should have grown. And it started to become a place of rest and protection for people. You see, this is the reality. Healthy things grow. We all know this. Healthy things grow. Christ's church, when it's healthy, grows. But here's a little secret. During moments of crisis, during moments of persecution, that's when Christ fertilizes his church. Because crisis is, is the fertilization of the church. And it's in moments of crisis that, that Christ's church grows. It grows. It grows. So the question for us today is this. Are you growing? If healthy things grow, are you growing, especially during this moment of crisis? Now, I, I get the excuses, right? Hey, Ben, you don't understand. I, I'm on the front lines. I am a, I'm a doctor. I, I'm a nurse. I'm working at the distribution center. There is no time. How can I grow in the midst of this? How can you not grow in the midst of this? There's so much fear and concern. You need Jesus more than ever. You need prayer more than ever. How about some of these excuses that we all used to have? I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Uh, my kids have these sports. I can't go to church. I can't read my Bible. I don't have time to pray. Guess what you have? You have a lot of time right now because none of that stuff is happening. So are you growing? Crisis is the fertilizer for the church. How about this one? Is your church growing? You see, during moments of crisis, our mission becomes laser-focused. And as churches, we don't squabble over silly things anymore, do we? There's no one in here to fight over the color of carpet or, or wall hangings or how certain things should be set in the church. Because in moments of crisis, we get laser focused on God's mission to tell people about the king. 
and to care for people that the king loves. So is your church healthy? Now I know what you're going to say. I know what you're thinking. Hey, Ben, everyone knows that the church in America is dying. Did you know that's not true? That's the rumor, but that's not true. For the last three years, weekend attendance at churches has gone up every year. Your church might not be growing, but Christ's church is growing. Is your church healthy? Is your church focused on what it's supposed to do, or is your church just focused on making you happy? Making sure that the service order is exactly how you like it. The songs are, song, are exactly the songs that you want, that the ministries that you approve of receive the funding for you to be happy. Is your church healthy? Healthy things grow. Healthy churches are growing. Christ has given us such a unique moment right now to get every church laser-focused on the mission. The mission is the world that desperately needs the king and desperately needs the same love that the king offers that we can bring. So, are we growing? You want to know something really cool? This past week... Now, as you know, we had this, this mandate from the CDC to take all these guidelines and all these precautions. And, and I got to be honest, it was weird and it was a little bit uncomfortable, right? If you were here last weekend, if you weren't taking extra precautions and watching online, w- what happened was you walk in and we couldn't shake your hand. You couldn't grab the cook anymore. We served you with gloves, right? We didn't pass the plate. There were all these precautions that we took. And because of the fear and because of the reality of what we were living in, we had a hundred less people in attendance than we normally do, right? We we took, we took a hit because people were concerned and rightly concerned. But you know what God did through that crisis? It forced us to put all of our services online. We had 262 people in our, our physical church last weekend. And we had 272 devices logged in to watch our services throughout the week and to watch them live. We had more people watching online than in person. We had more people in attendance than we ever had before in a long, long time. And you know what's even cooler about that number, the 272? Is that's just a device. That's just a phone, a TV, and computer. That doesn't count the whole family sitting and watching the TV and experiencing the service together. Crisis is the fertilizer that God can use to grow his church. Healthy things grow, and God is going to use this time to help us grow. So are you growing? Are you serving? Are you caring for the needs of the person next to you? You have no excuse at this point in time, right? We're far beyond handing an invitation card out for Easter. We're caring for people's lives. So if you're in that non-risk group, are you going to your neighbors and checking in and making sure they're okay and that they have necessities? Are you growing? Are we being the church in a time when the church is desperately needed? So this week, as long as this lasts, be the church. Hey